I'm going to run 35 marathons by the time I turn 35. Like that's, that's my next thing. I was like, I can't, this whole pro triathlete thing isn't really happening, but I love running. I can always do running. They're much more fiscally reasonable to do. Um, so I'm going to do that and I'm going to write a book about it because I'm sure that there are other women in my position who feel lack of a better word trapped. And I need to choose myself in order to be there for everyone else. And from that point on, I really kind of took on the mantra of, um, we need to be selfish in order to be selfless. And at that moment I thought I have to, I, I, I will do everything everyone needs of me, but I have to have my running and I have to have my writing. And so from that, and the, but the cool part was at that point I had been, um, I'd been like a three thirty, like three forty ish marathoner. And my times just dropped. They just kept dropping and dropping and dropping because I was running so much. I mean, I ran 15 marathons within two and a half years. You guys, we are back for another episode of the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess, your host, and I'm here with Coach Beach and our guest today, Taryn Spates. We've been following this amazing lady for quite some time, and today is the day to share her with you all. Taryn is an author, a runner, a writer, a producer, and a triathlete who is crushing the race course on a vegan diet. She claims to live each day to make an impact on tomorrow. And if you're tuned into her blog or IGTV channel, then you know that Taryn is showing up to live her best self with raw honesty and charisma. She is hot off the heels from her crewing experience at Ultraman Canada. Taryn, we are fired up to have you in our home, sipping on some sacred cacao with us. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. The cacao is delicious. <laughs> it's delicious, isn't it? Yes. And I got her all, uh, all set up with a little bit of almond milk, oh, some yeah. cinnamon, little agave nectar. Mm -hmm. And this is the uh, ancestral grade. I thought this was the ceremonial grade, but this is actually the good of the goods. It's the ancestral grade cacao, which ah. I was telling Taryn is grown in a cloud forest in the Mayan highlands. So it's a heart opener. So we'll see what happens. It usually takes about a half an hour to hit. So the second half of this show should be really I mean, good. My heart is already cracked open, so it's gonna, it's gonna pour out <laughs> wide in a half an hour. Get ready, it. everybody. <laughs> Stay tuned. So let's dive in with Ultraman Canada. You are up there crewing um, with the lovely cat. Yes. It was an experience. It was pretty much everything I dreamed it would be, but more. I met Kat last, I mean, it's so weird to think about actually only about eight, eight months ago or in February, um, because I feel like we just connected right away. And um, in order to to do everything a crew member has to do for someone at Ultraman, an athlete, I think you really need to care about that person because <laughs> you, it, the, the crew truly is the, the lifeline um, for, for the athletes. And uh, so I, so Kat is a, is a, one of my teammates. We both coached by Hillary Biscay. And so we did a ton of riding together in uh, February, then camped, went to camp together in April and just were simpatico right away. And I just thought, you know, this is, and then she asked me to, to crew up for Ultraman. And I was like, sure. Don't really know what I'm saying yes to, but yes, I'm in. And so, uh, yeah, luckily her crew, um, her other, we had, it was her, her boyfriend, Mark and, um, and her friend Melanie and me, and we just, right away got down to got down to business. I mean, luckily Kat came into it extremely prepared. She really had, I mean, of course there were things that came up, you know, as they always do, but she was ready to go every single morning and 
and felt pretty good, you know, at night, every night. Um, but for us, it was really just 24 hours a day for three solid days, really probably like four days. Um, just getting everything ready, buying everything the day, you know, days before checking in. Um, and my main, we all sort of had different roles and, uh, Mark kayaked for her. And then he also was the driver, mainly the driver of our van all three days. And then Melanie was in charge of nutrition and I was more, I was in charge of navigation and sort of documenting and sort of keeping things positive, um, kind of keeping things light. And, um, the days, I mean, Kat really held on extremely well, I would say mentally. It was one of those things where I knew kind of going in with, you know, I'm friends with, with Mary Knott as well and other, and I know that Ultraman, I mean, of course can break people down. Um, and I was amazed at how well Kat hung on. Um, and I knew that really a big part of my role was going to be when she did start to kind of feel it is that I really needed, wanted to be there and kind of pick her up and push her along, but also hold her a bit when she had those rough moments. And that really didn't happen until probably about mile 40 or so of the run on day three. Um, and she started to, she started to crack a little bit and get a little frustrated. Um, but she kept moving you know, she never stopped. She never walked. And that was so impressive to me. And the interesting part is too, um, I had had this, this foot issue. I've had this toe problem. And so I, I went into, I went into this event really, you know, as her pacer, she asked me to be her pacer because I have a strong running background and I didn't know if I could really run. I was like, this is the entire reason why she's asked me to be here. And I don't even know if I can do it. And then, um, I said, but I, I'll figure it out. You know, it's one day, it's fine. And that entire day probably ran like 20 miles with her, um, you know, off and on because Melly and I paced together and it was just incredible. And I was so excited and like the happiest, I was the happiest runner. So I tried to make sure that, you know, she was running the entire time. So I wanted to also kind of make sure that, you know, my, my mood balanced hers and, and cause I could take breaks and she couldn't. Um, but she just did incredible. And I just love being in, in that role, you know, helping her as much as I could, being a sounding board, if she was frustrated, I had no problem with that either. Um, but she really just did an incredible, an incredible job. And it was neat. to. What does it look like first for someone to crack? Like what was her cracking like at mile 40? And then what, how did you approach that? Like, how did you feel obligated to pull her out? She started to, um, we started to get some information. Like the way that the course is, is it's, it's, it's one way. It's point to point and it's just this dirt road. It's like a pavement and then it's dirt for many, many miles and then it's pavement again. And the dirt part is just a, basically a fire road and it just keeps going and going and going and going and going. And we kept getting word from folks that the pavement was coming and maybe we just had to go a couple more hills and then it was, then we were going to hit it. And she just was like, where's the pavement? Where's the pavement? And she just, you know, her face, you know, just visibly wasn't smiling anymore. And, and she was frustrated. And I, I just said, I was like, cat, be frustrated. Like, that's okay. You know, like just feel it, feel everything right now. Like you're, it's completely understandable that you're upset. And she kept calling these people liars. She's like, you're liars. You're all liars. You're all lying to me. Like, where's the pavement? And we just said, listen, we just have to keep going. Every step that we make, we're moving in the right direction. It will, I was like, just soak this in because we both knew this was her last triathlon. And this is someone who'd been competing in triathlon for almost 30 years. And she had put, and I had seen it, I had seen it with my own eyes days on end this year, how hard she had worked. And 
I know what our coach put her through and she had done so much to get here. And I just said, you need to, you've, you've earned this, but just feel it. It's okay to be upset, but just keep going. So for you coming into this role of service and having to run, but you've got something questionable in your body. How was it different? Let's say you going into your a race for you with a sore foot or a sore toe, as opposed to going into this experience where you're showing up for somebody and you've got this soreness. Like, I guess what I'm asking is, did the accountability shift? Completely. Completely. I think this was, I, I definitely felt it, I could have done anything that day. I could have run all day long. I could have run with her into the night. It didn't matter. Like I was, I was slightly in discomfort a little bit, but there was nothing that was going to stop me. And, and, and I, th- and I do think that if, if I was thinking about myself only, then I would second guess it. And I would be, I might hold back a little bit or, you know, kind of feel sorry for myself a little bit more or think about it more. And this, I was just like, no, this is not it. Today is not about me. So this is the question I would want to know is, is how can you translate that back now to your racing? Because I'm assuming that it comes from attachment, right? When we're, when we're in our own races, like we're, we're doing it ourselves. We have expectations when you're in service of others, you, that sort of falls away and you can sort of rise to the occasion. Let's pull this back to your own race performance. Have you thought about how you can pull that into what you have next upcoming? Yeah, I think it's interesting. A couple of days prior to the race, Kat and I were talking about how we approach races and how we approach sort of competition and that competitive drive. And she, she gets very, you know, she's very intense. She gets intense. And, and I just said, I was like, honestly, I'm really just so happy when I'm racing. I mean, I feel like when I show up to the day, I am just so happy to be there. And I do think there's a sense of confidence I have a lot of times when I'm, when I'm racing that I feel like no one's going to be faster than me. Like, I just feel like I know that I am faster than them and I'm just going to do what I have to do and power through. And I think that's maybe why I'm not, you know, I don't have that, that crusher competitive attitude. Cause I'm just so happy to be there. And now after having this experience, I just feel like my heart is completely full of joy because I feel like I, I see it as a, as such an opportunity and that our bodies are so powerful and so boundless that just being able to show up for any of it, a training run, any of it, especially a race where you're surrounded by not only like-minded people, but people that show up for you and, and volunteer for you and hand you things and cheer for you. I mean, it's such a, a, an amazing experience to celebrate that I think, especially from now on out, I mean, I, I know that I'll get nervous before races and want to do well. And I don't think you, you know, a true competitor can probably ever, you know, pull, totally put that aside, but I just feel just a, a, like a reborn in a sense, I think in, in the sport after, after being a part of that with her and just helping her along the way. It seems like you walked away with a higher level, or I should even, I could even say like an acute, more acute level of gratitude. And gratitude is our highest um, state of receiving. And then you couple that with service, right? So life is just a boomerang. What we throw out, we get back. Okay, that's kind of a simple way to say it. And when we put ourselves in the role of service, when we put ourselves in a role of giving, the universe gives back. So you were, you were receiving in that you weren't consumed by what was going on in your foot. You were focused on Kat's success and showing up for her. I had a similar experience at the Tahoe Rim 100 where I wasn't feeling good going into the race, showed up, 
for my pacing duties did not feel good. But in my head, I was like, you're a hundred percent because you can't be anything less than a hundred percent. And it's amazing what the body will do when the focus is not so self-absorbed anymore. So when you're going into a race and you're going in with joy and gratitude, that's a very expansive like vibration to be living in as you, as you move in. And then you've got this confidence that nobody's going to be faster than you on the day. Would you say that you're a trainer or a racer? Good question. I think probably when it comes down to it, I am a racer. Um, just cause I, I do, I don't shy away from pushing myself to, I think those, that level that you need to, um, on the day, like I, I but I, I do enjoy also, I mean, I think that's why I love Ironman training. I love the training. I mean, I love training all day long and all the time. Um, it's interesting. You said as far as gratitude and, and I do think it's sort of funny how the universe works because this whole foot deal that I've had definitely when I'm running, but even just at any point of the day for the past month or so before this race, I had had some sort of ache or some sort of feeling in my foot. And the Monday after the race, I didn't really notice it. I didn't really pay attention, but I didn't feel anything. And then that night I was like, my foot doesn't hurt at all. This is really weird. Like I just ran 20 miles yesterday. It should really hurt today. And, and then I, I mean, I wrote a note to my coach. I was like, uh, my foot feels okay. I was like, we might, we might be able to make a run for Wisconsin. And that I think is just what's so interesting too, is that I feel like, I don't know if that's anything. And that's why, you know, I, I, I kept putting out there, Ultraman saved my foot, you know, brought my foot back to life because I feel like just that experience, maybe, you know, taking myself out of it, um, and just kind of, or, or being open to, um, other avenues of, of trying to help it out and bring it back really, you know, maybe realize, okay, maybe I can't do it this way, but I'm going to open it up and try to do something else. Um, Sometimes we need to step away from what it is that we're focusing so much on. Um, The universe is very funny and it can be a little finicky. Like we want to have that one pointed focus. We want to have those goals and we want to set ourselves up for success in every way possible. Right. But if we focus too hard on it and we're like, we have to have it, that's when we need to step back and step away. And so very similar thing um, happened coming off of that Lake Tahoe. The next day, I felt fi- completely sleep deprived, as I'm sure you were at Ultraman. So no reason why the symptoms would have dissipated, but they did. And perhaps it was because the focus was no longer on the foot. Like Especially when we get these little niggles in our body, we can get so consumed with them. And we would sum that up, like the finesse of that is just doing the work for the sake of the work. So tending to the foot, giving it what it needs, but not spending your whole, what was that? What was that? What was that? What was that? Because we get so consumed with it. Then we move into a place where we're expanding exactly what we don't want. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a game. That's all it is. This whole life is just a game and we can get really skillful at how we play it. We can get really skillful. What was a moment at Ultraman that you'll never forget. Yeah. I think, um, the moment that I'm, I'm, I'm truly grateful for is the fact that I got to run with Kat the last mile or so into the race. And she was, she was very, very not happy at this point. (laughs) She was really upset. Even though she Um, was on the pavement. Yeah. Well, it was so funny. I mean, it was honestly hysterical because we kept saying, I can hear her laughing right now. Can you hear her? Oh yeah. And she did say, I could say whatever I want. So I'm going to, um, because (laughs) 
it was hysterical. Like we were thinking like you literally had like, it, it's like you're a mile away, like you're a kilometer. And of course everything is kilometers. So we're trying to do like the conversions that I'm not good at math. So I was like, listen, it's just, it's down this road. It's down this road. And then we make a left. And she was like, well, how far down the road? And, um, we had switched. So Melanie was running with her and then I got out the last bit and I was like, is you know, is it okay if I run with her? Melanie's like, yes. And so, so I ran with her in and I, it was one of these things where I knew that she at that moment didn't really realize the magnitude of it. But to me, it was so special to be a part of a, the end of that particular race. Cause it was a, a humongous undertaking of physical exertion and mental strength, but also the fact that I had known her and I trained with her for many, many hours throughout the year and then got to know her and we had the connection of our coach and what I know that she has put her through and just to be there in that moment. And I just, I knew how big it was. And I was like, I know she's going to realize this later. She just wants us to be done, but I get it. I have, and, and I started to cry and I was like, I was like, this is, thank you for having, thank you for inviting me to be a part of this. And, um, she still was, you know, she was like, yeah, but I, you know, she wasn't really that happy at that moment. And then we finally went around the corner and we ran in and it was over. But that, that was something that I will truly like carry with me for the rest of my life because I know that, especially as an athlete, and I knew how important this was to her, and I just couldn't even imagine myself in her shoes, like having this be the last race and everything she had done, and she had done so well. I mean, she was so strong the whole time, and I just appreciated it and was like inspired by it and was just like, wow, this is so cool. Where did you feel when, even when you're talking about it now, you can, I know you can still feel it. Where do you feel that magnitude like in your body? Where do you feel that? I feel it really in my chest, like in my heart and in my, my lungs. And just, just, it's, it's truly like a vibrancy, um, just breathing it in. I mean, it was something where, and the thing is too, and granted, you know, I do think I was on a different plane that day with my legs. Cause I was just bouncing. I mean, I have not felt that happy as a runner in such a long time. And, and the whole thing, I was just like, this is just amazing, but definitely from, from my heart region for sure. Yeah, for sure. So we were talking before we put the mics on about the gift, right? About how when, you know, we get these curveballs and sometimes they hit us straight in the face that we can look at them any way we want, but perhaps we could look at them as a gift. And what did Kat give you? What was her gift to you by asking you to be a part of this? Just, I mean, trust more than anything. Trust in really not even knowing me very well which I thought was really cool that, you know, you meet certain people and I think you just instantly connect because you just know that you are very similar. And I think that she saw that in me and I was just honored that she asked me to be a part of it. And then also, um, when we did go through those tough moments on, on the run, you know, when, when I, I did try to, you know, I did say some things to try to get her out of it and to try to pep her up. Um, she really reacted well to that. You know, she reacted, she might've, you know, she might've just not said anything and she was like, okay, okay. You know, and then she, and then she would kind of keep running. So she never, you know, I, I knew that she did respect me the whole time. Maybe she was a little upset with me at times, <laughs> but I know that she was deep down happy, you know, that I was there and that, and that, you know, she could share this with me and that I understood. I think that was the biggest thing is she knew that I knew how important this was and that, you know, to share that symbiotic moment, I think was big. Are you someone, um, cause this is the first time we've met. Um, although you said that we we were on the course together in Boulder <laughs> on the run course, looking at your athletes, yeah, checking at some point. Are you one that that needs to to have that? Like that's a gift from Cat to have trust and faith in you. Are you someone that needs that outside proof to know? 
that you're a, a legit contender out there or is this something that you that you know it deep inside i mean we touched upon it when you know you're you're racing like you're the fastest out there but does it come from inside or do you look for that outside uh, affirmation to know that you're 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 a legit athlete like you're a solid athlete no i'm definitely intrinsically mot- motivated um i think that's something that and I, and, I, and I believe honestly why that's still, I mean, I'm turning 40 next month. That's why I'm still an athlete and I still, it's still a huge part of my life is that pretty much my entire life I've known that, that I'm, I'm a, I'm a decent athlete and that, um, I'm good and, and I want to do what it takes to, to, to be better. Um, and I'll do whatever it takes to be better. But the fact that anybody else pays attention to it or that I actually do get better, that's a huge bonus. <laughs> but to me, it's really just like, no, I know that I'm improving. I know that I feel better. And that, that's plenty, plenty. What do you think right now could make you better? Um, I think right now I, it's interesting. So my, I touched on this briefly. My, my biggest weakness as far as in triathlon is the pool. And that was one thing. Talk about a gift. I think my whole foot issue, I really did have to come, come to a moment where, where I was like, maybe I really can't run for a while. And I, and, but I will put all my time and effort into the pool. And it was that it was a click. And the first time that I actually said it, I said it to my coach. I was like, I don't, I really don't think I should be running, but I'm just going to swim like crazy. And that next workout, I had just, just by acknowledging the fact that I, it was time for me to really concentrate on the swim. I swam better and I just felt more powerful. And, and, and I think just making that sort of shift alone was, was a huge step in the right direction and just kind of letting myself finally, because I am so down about myself with swimming all the time. Like I'm just so slow and all this. And the fact is you improve every day. You know, you just have to keep doing it and keep doing it. Well, that's the story we tell ourselves. And and I can jump on that story too, because I, you know, I come from a non-swim background and it's always been a struggle. And once you stop telling yourself that story or see that that's the story you start sharing with other people, because everybody else is going to jump on board too. Oh, Taryn, she's awesome. You know, she's got to work on the swim. She's got to work on the swim. But once we... Uh, focus on that and begin to, you know, slowly erase that story that's written in that book there. Like you start or tearing the pages out, like I'm going to rewrite this story. The same thing is detaching from your run, your go-to. Like how was, how's that to just, because it sounds like you just flipped it. Like, okay, I'll focus on swimming, which is the greatest thing about triathlon is that you have all these avenues to pursue when you can't do one thing. Um, Switching gears from uh, and maybe it was easy for you to detach from the run, knowing that it'll come eventually, but right now is time to focus on swimming. So how is, how is it letting go of the, the run for a little bit? That was actually excruciating, to be honest. Um, the, the, the run, you know, I've, I come from a family of runners and ran cross country in high school, ran track. And then when I discovered the marathon when I was 21, just completely changed my life. The part about the marathon that I think is so interesting is that I've run a lot of them and I didn't really start getting good at them until like my 24th and kept doing it, kept going and going and going. But then I really started to kind of figure it out. Then to have that just stop or, or I thought to myself, oh my gosh, like all this crazy running I've been doing that I've loved has actually been hurting myself. I've been hurting myself. What I thought was making me faster has actually been making my foot worse. So to come to that realization was really tough. And, and to know that maybe I don't know when I'll be back or if I do come back, because initially it was a surgery my doctor suggested, 
my toe, my foot will be different. It'll, it'll look different. It'll feel different. That was a big, big, big thing to, to look at and to recognize. Cause I truly am one of those people where, you know, it was, a, I mean, it is a huge part of my identity. So to look at that and be like, okay, I do need to move away from that though. And luckily I do have other things. I, I mean, swimming and biking. I also love to lift and just be strong, you know, and, and writing and producing and being a part of other things. It definitely made me look at all that and open it up and just realize, listen, running has been a huge gift. And if I can run for 10 minutes at some point, the rest of my life, I will be thrilled. And anything else is a huge, huge bonus. So who are you if you're not a runner? I would say when I, honestly, when I think about myself, I'm a positive person. And I just think that's one thing that I want to be above all at, at all times in any way, shape or form. And I think that I've discovered running and I obviously love it. Um, it's something I hope to do for a long time sooner or later, you know, we will break down, but I truly just believe in the power of positivity and you can look at anything and look at things negatively or positively. And I frankly just don't have time to be negative. And I think there are a million other ways to be positive and you can just get creative that way. I feel like I'm, I'm creative and I'm positive. And that's, that's what I think is the most important thing and everything else physically, you know, I want to use my body as best as, as much as I can. I mean, she's incredible, but above all, I just feel like it's, it's the power of, of positivity and getting that out there. So you described when the run was, let's just say taken from you, uh, not that you're a victim, but I'm just going to use those words. It was excruciating. Was there a moment you can share with us where, because we have to have the dark, right? We've got the dark and the light. It's, it's the nature of, of this world. But can you share with us a moment where, it, as a super positive person, that it did get really dark? And how did you, how did you navigate that? I think the most interesting moment was um, sitting in my doctor's, my podiatrist's office, and she was casting my, my feet for orthotics. And we had just sort of started talking about, she just told me what the surgery entailed and all these things. And I was just in shock really. And I started to cry and I thought I was, I, I just, you know, here she's looking at this grown woman who's crying because I mean, boohoo her feet. But I just said, I was like, but running is running is really important to me. I was like, I, I wrote a book about running, like running is really who I am. And I don't, uh, okay. You know? And so, and that, that night, um, I came home and Honestly, I hadn't, um, I hadn't been drinking for two years just, just because of health reasons and just wanting to be as pristine as possible. And I came home that night and I was just like, can I cuss? Yeah, you can. Okay. I was just like, fuck it. I was like, fuck all this. Like I've done everything I can. And, and my husband like accident, he went to, he drinks, but, but we, um, like he doesn't drink wine and he ended up like buying a bottle of wine for a friend and forgot it, like forgot to bring it to a party. And I was like, sweet, like there it is. So I'll have some of that. And I hadn't had anything to drink like for real in two years and had a couple glasses of wine. He came home and I was like, fuck the world. Like, <laughs> like, look at me. Like I've been doing all this and like nothing, like none of it's been worth it. Like everything had just gone to, gone to shit like, up until then. And, and then I was like, now I can't even run. Like I can't like what I was like, I'm falling apart. Like this is just, so that moment, um, and, and to be honest, I was, I was sort of impressed with myself cause I, I definitely got buzzed, but I didn't really get too hammered, which was good. Um, and then, you know, and then I woke up the next day and I kind of felt okay. I was 
hangovers have never been in my strong suit, which is another reason why I don't drink. But then, then I really was like myself again. And I was like, okay. How important is it to have like the fuck it moments? How important was it for you to just fully express those emotions that were moving through you? Just like you said to Kat, like be frustrated. Mm-hmm. Like the, pa- the whatever everybody's saying, pavement's not coming, girl. It's not here yet. How important it is to just fully experience when that shadow self steps in and takes over. I think it's extremely important because I think who, who are we kidding? I mean, you can't, you can't hide your feelings. You can't hide from the world. Like it's happening and just take it in and experience it and, and walk through it, get through it any way that you can, but to shy away from things and like pretend that it's not happening or cower away. It's like, that's not going to help anyone. Certainly not going to help yourself. And you might hurt someone else in the process you could start lying to yourself or lying to other people. So I think those moments are incredibly important. And it's just another way to get to know yourself. You know, for me, I had been, I had put up this, I have to be this way, I have to be this way, and perfect, perfect, perfect for so long. And then it was just like, no, there's no easy answer. There's really no path to any of this. Like you may want this. You may want to have all this happen, but that's just not the way life works. And screw it, you know? But I think it also what was good was to, was to feel that, but just know that that's not really who I am though. Like I'm not that person. I can feel that way, but also I can, you know, get it together and then, and then refocus and have another, have another plan. Yeah. Ride it out. Mm -hmm. Just ride it out. Be good to yourself. Ride it out. It will pass. It's not, um, like you said, it's not who you are. Like it's not even close to who you are, but it's very much a part of the human condition. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what, makes you inspiring, makes you, uh, real is that, you know, it's not all rainbows and unicorns, right? Sometimes those rain, sometimes the unicorn gets wasted and smashes into the rainbow and then it's just a total shit show. And, and that needs to happen. It needs, it happens to me. It happens to BJ. And, um, we try and be very open about those things. I've had some super, super dark times that I've just, ridden out. You know, sometimes I've napped through them or glasses and a hat and a long walk of sobbing that helps too. But to deny them, to try and pretend that they're not there, will just start packing a vault that will eventually open. And typically it opens in, uh, in a physical manifestation, disease, injury, illness, and so it's so important to, um, to let those things move through you. I, a little technique I use is that I just pretend like I'm, I'm translucent. Like remember, uh, Wonder Woman in her invisible plane. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Right. So it's like my, bo- this body is the invisible plane. And I just imagine that that energy, even though it feels so slow moving, it's like tar. I just imagine that it's moving through me and I give it permission. I'm like, like the arm is up. It's full, like free access, get through there so that I can up level from this because it, I, I really see it as a clearing that you can get up the next day if the hangover is not too bad and have clear eyes to move forward. Um, so I appreciate, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Uh, so before running was, um, something that was in and out of your life, you were for sure a runner and you wrote a book. So can we hear about the book? And I love the backstory of the book too, because that was also another moment that was 
a little dark and desperate. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, so my, the, book you're, the, the book you're referring to, Jess, is 35 by 35, A Runner's Quest, um, available on Amazon. And uh, it's a fantastic read, everyone. As my mom calls it, it's a, it's a, it's a fun and easy read. Um, yeah, so my book, I wrote the book, uh, I published it three years ago, so I published it. And it's really the story of, of how marathons have been the through line of my adult life. How training and racing them, racing them from from from, basic, from age twenty one until thirty five, um, at one point or another, no matter what was happening in my life, between starting out, you know, I just graduated from college three weeks before my first marathon, and then so charting my path professionally, meeting my husband, uh, starting you know our family, my career, all of that, I'd always been training for a marathon through all of it, and it was the one constant I had in my life, and what was interesting about it was. The moment that I had, uh, you know, kind of the breakdown, honestly, when I had the idea to write the book, um, I had been, it was, it was, uh, March 8th, 2012, and we were on a quote unquote vacation, um, camping and I'm really not a big camper. Um, uh, but my husband, we work in visual effects and he literally, I mean, I'm not even joking. He had been working for like 20 days straight and I really hadn't seen him. And he finally had a day off, like a weekend off. And we just decided to go get out of town and go camp. And it was in these cabins and it was great. But at the time, I was really just losing who I was because for um, I did my first Ironman in 2008, fell in love with it, absolutely fell in love with it, and thought, okay, well maybe you know, maybe I could do this, maybe I can like, maybe I can like, be a pro, maybe that'd be kind of cool. So um, I didn't go back to work, and luckily my husband was was very you know supportive of that, and I just trained full time and uh, a couple years, you know, got better and better. But then around 2012. Um, it really sort of hit me that that wasn't going to happen. Like I had been doing all this and I just wasn't that good. And in the meantime, I had been taking on much more of a, of a responsible role with, with my stepdaughter and, and really being that person with her. So I couldn't really go back to work full time. But then again, my dream of becoming a professional triathlete was just not happening. And I really was just like, what am I, where am I? What is, what am I even doing with my life? And I just kind of cracked. And then, and then my husband came home or came back from fishing and, and I just said, okay, I'm, I need to go for a run. And he was like, yes, please, please go for a run. <laughs> so I did, I went on this run around this lake and I just had this vision. I was like, okay, I was at the time I was 32 and a half and I had run 14 marathons up until that point. And I thought, okay, I'm going to run 35 marathons by the time I turn 35. Like that's, that's my next thing. I was like, I can't, this whole pro triathlete thing isn't really happening, but I love running. I can always do running. They're much more fiscally reasonable to do. Um, so I'm going to do that and I'm going to write a book about it because I'm sure that there are other women in my position who feel lack of a better word trapped. And I need to choose myself in order to be there for everyone else. And from that point on, I really kind of took on the mantra of, um, we need to be selfish in order to be selfless. And at that moment I thought I have to, I, I, I will do everything everyone needs of me, but I have to have my running and I have to have my writing. And so from that, and the, but the cool part was at that point I had been, um, I'd been like a three 30, like three forty ish marathoner. And my times just dropped. They just kept dropping and dropping and dropping because I was running so much. I mean, I ran 15 marathons within two and a half years. And the last one, um, the 35th actually was horrible, San Francisco, and I kind of fell apart. But um, my 36th, uh, which a little spoiler alert, um, I won, actually. I won that race. And that was incredible. So to have were, that... Were you like, do I need, like, damn, this would have made a good last chapter in the book. 
Oh, it is the last chapter. And let me tell you, I literally was like, this is hysterical. I couldn't have made this up. This is so good. I couldn't believe it because the 35th was awful. It was just like such a horrible race because at the time I was actually training for Ironman Lake Tahoe. And I was, and I had done Ragnar, like a, a six person Ragnar, like two months before. So we just, I was just ragged and had already run like six marathons that year. Came to San Francisco and I ran actually, um, I've been consistently running like 323s for like the last six marathons. And I ran a 347 in San Francisco. Like I hadn't run that slow in years, but, but I was like, you know what? Like around mile 23, I thought this is perfect. I was like, this is exactly how this should end. It's like, this is a marathon and they are never easy. No matter how many you do, they are never easy. And yeah, this one hurts. And guess what? It should hurt. But all that mattered to me that day was crossing the finish line and I got my 35th and then I ended up going to visit my brother in, in Basel, Switzerland. And it, they just so happened to have a marathon that weekend. And so I just, I ran it for fun and won it, which was hysterical, but great. <laughs> this is so telling of attachment and detachment and, and having the plan and the story and coming right up to that moment where that goal, you finished the, the, the goal is finished. You have your 35th marathon and it's not what you expect, right? It's not your time. You see all this progression. And this is what a lot of athletes see. They see the progression, progression. They're seeing the proof. Like I talked about earlier, they're seeing actual proof. And they start to attach to like, okay, well, now I'm going to get my fastest time just as expected on that last day. And what shows up is a gift, right? A gift, something that takes you down Again, just a, just a notch to say like, whoa, 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 you're maybe possibly, and I'm just inferring here, but maybe getting too attached, like the progression was, yeah, leading up, but that doesn't mean you're always going to achieve it at the end. And I think that's where most people just like, okay, I did, I did my goal. I'm stopping. This is a sign that I've got a lot of miles in my legs. It's time to pull back a little bit. Yet you go see your brother probably not as attached. I'm assuming just like, I'm going to go see my brother. There just so happens to be a marathon here again. Just the weight is maybe just subconsciously lifted off and you go win the race. Did you have any thoughts of like being done after that 35th one? Any inkling of like, Hmm, this is, this is a sign to just stop for a bit. Or were you always looking to, to move forward? I was pretty much always looking to move forward. I think um, I wasn't sure what that would be exactly. Um, if that would be, at the time, I, I did think I wasn't going to do Ironmans for a little while, um, and I was sort of going back and forth. I was like, "Well, I'll at least do you know another another marathon." Um, but yeah, that was that was actually a, a, an odd time. It was a weird time to have that huge goal be done, and then and then it's another one of those. Well, well, now what? You know, now what do I do? And luckily, I had actually the book to write at the time I was, I was blogging it basically. Um, and so I, it was pretty much written, but I had to go back and really formulate it, you know, make it into a book and a true story. Um, but that was a really interesting time. And actually that was, so that was the end of, uh, basically fall of, of 2014, um, into 2015 and 2015 was, was a very difficult time. Um, it was the first time, uh, my, my husband, he was working in, um, in Albuquerque for like six months. And initially I wasn't going to go. I was, you know, we were going to go back and forth and it was just, and my, my stepdaughter had, you know, she was 16 and didn't really need me anymore. I mean, she was driving and like, it was just, what am I doing? Like I, you know, the book, I was, this is just, I got to figure something out. And I, and I was going to do Ironman Coeur d'Alene. Um, and then, uh, but I was like, no, you know what? I need to just go to Albuquerque. I need to go to Albuquerque and we need to be together and just 
figure out our life and put everything else on hold. So I brought my bike with me and I swam a couple times, but I actually started just running a ton and just wanted to get into ultra running. Just wanted to do, um, you know, a couple, maybe do some ultra marathons and geek out on that. And then that, um, I watched, uh, what was it? The, the, the Texas, like Ironman Texas on TV and, and that was it. I was like, no, I need to do another Ironman. I was like, this is, I have to do at least one more Ironman and it would have been my 10th. And so I signed up for Ironman like Placid that summer. And I ended up doing that in 2016. Um, and that was just another, you know, huge leap change from that. Would you say you're, I mean, it seems to me you are, but like that you have a strong intuition because you're getting these hits and then you're acting on them. A lot of people get hits. A lot of people run around the lake and get an inspiration. Oh, I'm going to do this. And then they come back from the run and then they have lunch. And then that was the last they've ever heard of that inspiration. So for you, when you get these hits, um, where do you think they're coming from? The mind or the heart? I think, I think definitely from the heart. I think there's certain things I've always known that I, that I am. Um, I've always known I, 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 I'm a writer from, from birth. I've always loved writing and I've always been an athlete. And so when I discovered running, I figured out, okay, I don't have to have a team to be an athlete. I can be a runner forever, uh, on my own. And I always thought as long as I have those two things, I'm fine. Like those are my, that's my identity. Like I always, if I can hang on to that, I can handle anything else. And so anything else has really been a bonus, but I do think that, yeah, that you have, when you have those certain hits, sometimes you do follow through and sometimes you don't, but if you keep thinking about it, like the next day or two days later, it's like, okay, you know, we need to figure this out and make a plan. Now I read, gosh, where did I read this? It might've been on your blog or somewhere that that Ironman like Placid 2016, that was going to be it. 10 Ironmans, get out clean, right? Like 35 marathons, you can still run. The Ironman thing, you're back in it. Like, okay, 10, I'm done. But that wasn't the case. No, I think that that's that's sort of what I'm calling Terran 2.0, honestly, because that was so interesting because I did, I I went into that race and I was was self-coached and and I did pretty well. But the funny thing was I did the swim. The swim was, was pretty slow. And, um, but the, but the bike and the run were solid and I felt great on the, on the run. And after that, I just thought, you know, I just think that there's more than this. I mean, I'd long ago let go of being a pro and all that. And I really didn't, but, but it really just hit me. This is, this is a lifestyle. You know, you're around that town and have you guys ever done like Placid yet? Oh, oh yeah. We were there that we year too. Oh, were you? The, yeah. Okay. We've both done it a couple of times, uh, but yeah, we were living there during that time. Yeah. So that, I mean, that town, that was the first Ironman I actually ever witnessed because my brother did it in 2004. So that was my first, you know, uh, you know, look-see at the, at the Ironman world. But that weekend, it just hit me like, these are my people. This is just what I want to do with my life. Like if I spend my vacations for the rest of my life doing Ironmans, great. Like I'm in. And so, and then that race, it, it, but it, there, there was enough about it positively that made me think there was more in me. There was more, there was more that I could give. And, and, and I wanted to test that out. And so, um, a few weeks later I contacted my, my old coach Hillary and I just said, Hey, do you or anyone on your crew, you know, any of your other coaches possibly have any room? Cause I think I want to just try this out. I think I want to, I want to push myself a little bit more and see if there's anything else in there just, just to improve. And, uh, and luckily she said, yeah, she's like, let's go again. And she took me on herself and, um, and I, and I did improve, which is pretty cool. You were slated to do Ironman Boulder this year and 
between, you know, the foot teaching you detachment. You also had an experience at Iron... I mean, you were there. You're doing like IGTV from the hotel room. Like, okay, I just went for my run, da-da-da, you know, tomorrow, this and that. And then the next video is like a minute long, which is the best video ever because it's raw and it's emotional and it's you letting go of the race because you were sick. You know what's adorable about that? Real quick anecdote. My dad couldn't even watch that video. He's like, it was just too sad. And, and I did it in one take, which I was proud of myself. I was like, I just have to do this in one take. Um, yeah, it was, you know, talk about intuition. I think honestly, um, I didn't listen to my intuition with that race and how I felt going into it and talk about expectations. I mean, the first, I mean, after, um, I did, well, after I, I did Kona last year and, and then I ran the New York marathon three weeks later and I had come off of both those races. I was pretty disappointed with actually how Kona went really shouldn't have been, but I, don't, I just kind of was. And I felt like there's so much more to this. I was like, I'm going to give every single thing I have, every ounce of my being for the first six months of 2019 to prep for Boulder. So when I get to Boulder, I'm my ultimate, ultimate self. <laughs> and everything was pretty much going the way that it should have been. Although ironically, like on January 1st, I messed up one of my workouts. Like my coach had written this workout and I just like misread it and did one and did it wrong. And I thought, wow, this isn't really a good kickoff to the year. But um, so come, come end of May, I just started, I had a huge build and a fantastic build into the race. And it just kind of felt a little tickle in my throat. And I really thought that, okay, that'll pass, that'll pass. And it didn't. And then it kind of got a little bit worse. But when I got to Boulder, it just exploded. And it was a real, um, I mean, the Saturday before the race, I went out for a little run, you know, went for a little, and, and then did a little hour ride. And I came back to my hotel room and I have not had a fever for like 15 years. And it was one of those moments where my body just, and I said it out loud when my sister, my younger sister was with me. And I said it out loud to her, I was like, I don't really want to say how I'm really feeling out loud. It's like, what is that? Is that weakness? Or, you know, I don't want to want to say it, but I feel really bad. And then after that, I just like, my temperature just shot up to the roof and I had a huge fever and it was like, okay, I really need to listen to this. And, um, and, and I, luckily I actually decided not to race hours before, um, it got really bad because when I woke up on Sunday morning, I honestly had no remorse about missing the race. I mean, I was so sick and I just thought, I mean, A, there's no way in the world I can swim right now. And I just have to, I just have to get better and I have to be able to breathe again. And I think that's the thing too, is you, you really appreciate little things like that because you can be as strong physically and as possible, but if you don't have air in your lungs, can't really do a whole lot. So that was a, a big thing for it. that just forced me, um, it forced me to, what I should have done is listen to my intuition. And instead I listened to my ambition. I just really was like, I'm going to go, 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 go. Cause I probably shouldn't have gone from sea level to altitude, even though Boulder's not that high, that probably did not do me any favors but with, with, with the lung condition. Um, but I just was like, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to see what I, you know, I will go as far as I can. And I didn't race. Do you have any remorse for the six months of fitness that you built up? Like you were excited to go and I, I have been there. That's why uh, I can relate to this so well. You, your game is on, right? And you're hitting workouts, nailing it, getting fit, getting strong, putting everything into this day comes, doesn't happen what's your mindset in terms of, is this all for nothing? Like, what is this all for? Like, what, what was this all for? And can you quickly turn that into, oh, 
This is exactly what's supposed to happen. This is such a great opportunity for me to learn detachment and everything isn't for, again, the 35th marathon. This isn't about attaching to that end result. It's about working, doing the work for the sake of the work. And maybe the reward isn't what you think it is. Maybe it's something else. Was there a lesson in there for you? There was, but not for a little while. <laughs> I have to say, this one took me a minute. And, and um, it, it was, it was, this is, I think, a time where it, when it was really helpful for me to have an amazing coach and someone who had, you know, Hillary's been through everything herself and also has coached, you know, people through all kinds of things. So to have someone on that level really understand, because it was, it was a sense, that was the part that was just so sad to me. I mean, literally, that's just the best word I can think about. It, it was, it was, it was sad. I had put in so much time and effort and it made changes. You know, I, I, I just made sacrifices at home things just to make sure that I was in such great shape for Boulder. And then just to not even race to not, I mean, it's one thing to show up and not do well or not do as well as you think, but to just not even race and not be like, it's like, what? Like, that is crazy. Like that's why did that happen? Why did that happen? So there were, there were definitely a, a couple weeks of that. Um, and then, then I started to realize that like, okay, there's a reason for this. The storyteller in me was like, well, this makes my story a little bit better. There's a twist. There's some conflicts. Woohoo. You know? Um, but I certainly would not have asked for that. And I really wish that didn't happen. But, um, I, I do think in the, in the, in the grand scheme of things, I also think there's a reason for it. I think that I didn't know really what was going on with my foot at the time. And I think I might've actually hurt it pretty badly if I would have run on it without the protection of orthotics or without some things that I know now. So I think that ultimately it was a blessing, but at the time it took me a minute to get over it. What, what's something that allowed you to gain that perspective for someone in the same situation? Cause it happens often. I mean, I, I think I remember Ireland just happening and I think a thousand people did not start and I'm assuming because of the conditions, a lot of it. But I think in Ironman races, you see a lot of DNSs, like a lot of things can happen leading into an, a race. When you get there fully trained, fully healthy, it's, it's, you should be grateful for that. So what can you share um, with anyone who may be experiencing something similar? I would say that it's really, what I learned honestly is that it's not about the race. None of this is about the actual race that you show up to or any of that. I mean, first of all, there's always another race you can, you can, you can do for sure. But truly we do all this to be personally, I do all this to be strong, to be physically and mentally and emotionally a strong person to know that I can a outrun someone if I need to maybe, or just feel good about myself and feel like I'm, I'm doing as much with my life as I possibly can. I'm making my body as strong as possible as much as I can. And yeah, there's a million, it's a miracle that we show up to an Ironman and everything works that like you don't have a mechanical or you don't for, you forget a shoe or I mean, all these, there's so many things that can go wrong in a, in a triathlon and in, a, in an iron distance triathlon. The fact that anyone makes it through from point A to point B start to finish, that is a true blessing. And that's for sure. One of the biggest things I've taken away is that, and it's all of the training up and up until that point. I mean, I, and honestly, there were a couple workouts um, Hillary is famous for that. I did do, I did complete. And I thought that's, that's enough. The fact that I even did that, those were harder really than the, than the, than the race itself. The race is just gravy that it's like, you know, there will be another one. Everything happens for a reason and you just have to roll with it. We're all guilty of glossing over details in life that we could spend so much more time being grateful for. We're all guilty of this. I was 
reading in the yoga sutras this morning at like four o'clock in the morning when I got up um, to go for my run. And it was talking about uh, non-stealing, which is one of the ethical principles of yoga. And so we think like, okay, like, you know, all those bras I ripped off from Victoria's Secret when I was in high school. Sorry, Victoria's Secret, but I did. Um, Shouldn't have done that. But it actually talks about the oxygen we breathe and how it's, it's not ours. It's the, it's this atmosphere and it's the earth's. And so we should hold every breath with reverence. Every breath is not to overuse it, a gift. It really is the way I look at it. It's, it's, um, it's the go ahead to live for another moment. That's what I get. And I loved that. I was like, gosh, I never, I I really don't think I've ever thought of that. Like it's not my air. And we gloss over all of these fine details that are so profound in allowing us to live another day that when something like an Ironman or an injury or a delayed race start or the cancellation of a swim derails us so, um, so tragically, you know, we, we feel like it's the end of the world, but there are so many lessons in there. And I think that it kind of knocks us off our pedestal a little bit and say, Hey, you know, you're still human. Now you need to feel this so that you can restore your gratitude. Because when you start running, you know, 20 miles again, how grateful are you going to be for that? You know, cause you will, you will, you'll get to the other side of what you're in right now mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so I know that you're gathering up this fitness for another Ironman. So what's next? Yes. We have uh, heading to heading to Madison. Going to going to do uh, Ironman Wisconsin. On and you're September doing 8th. a pretty quick ramp up. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what's so interesting. I kind of like this is a little this is a little this is a little quick. Um, but I, I I'm I'm as I I wrote my blog this morning. I'm a firm believer in muscle memory, and I do think that again what you're talking about. You I built up all this fitness, and that's one thing you know Hillary said when Boulder didn't happen is that it's not like that really just goes away. You know, we do have, you know, those, those are still stored in there. Um, so yeah, tapping into that, um, it should be an adventure, but I think, but I'm certainly going into this race with Madison with not at all huge expectations. I mean, I want to go in and I want to enjoy it. I want to be healthy. I want to enjoy the day. It's such an amazing place to race and you know, everything, I really just see my life or all of our lives as, as a story and, and as a storyteller, like there's an opportunity for it all. And just to see things that way. And you know, this just makes things that much more interesting. Um, but it is funny. It's like when I mentioned to Hillary a couple weeks ago, after my, my foot started feeling better, I was like, I think, I think I, let's, let's go. Let's see if I could do Madison. And, and I love that she was just like, yeah, let's okay. Yeah. You know? And so, and, and I have complete faith in her. Um, she has gotten me and all of her athletes to the starting line in such amazing shape and ready to go. Um, and I think that no matter what, I'll be able to enjoy the day one way or the other. It might be longer than usual, maybe not, but I'm looking forward to it. And it's an amazing course. It's an amazing finish line coming down with the capital in the background. And, and yeah, it's a challenging bike, but I, I mean, any Ironman distance race is challenging. Uh, but I really like that run. It's a challenging run, but it's very spectator friendly. I, I felt like there was a lot of support out there the whole time. So, uh, have you done that one before? I did. I did that in uh, 2013. In fact, kind of a little fun fact: the last time I ran it was September 8th, 2013, and this year it's September 8th. So, ooh, numbers game. <laughs> Let's see what happens. 
I think your I think your no expectations is going to serve you very well, because there was some failed expectations from Kona. There was failed expectations from Boulder. So it's I feel like the universe is going. Uh, hey, Darren, you listening? Are you listening? You got to drop those expectations. Have your goals, but it's that attachment that that causes our suffering. The attachments what causes our suffering. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit because I want to bring in the fact that you are a vegan athlete, plant-based athlete. So how did you swing over to the plant side of things? So I've actually been a vegetarian um, since uh, December 26, 2002. I'm a big date person. Um, I know all kinds of dates. So that was a very impactful day. But I've only been a vegan now for maybe two and a half years. Um, and I think that really, you know, it was more education. I think just coming over and, and just reading. I mean, I think, I don't think I'm, I, I'm similar to a lot of vegetarians where cheese is the last to go. Dairy is the last to go. Um, and, and then, and then once I just read more about that and was like, Oh, okay, well then that's easy. You know, I can easily do that. And I certainly have felt the benefits of being, you know, I mean, you know, training all the time. I think recovery is a huge benefit to being a vegan. Um, I do not feel, I mean, besides just being, you know, muscle soreness, lethargic, really. I mean, my, you know, my, my diet is clean. And so I know exactly what is going in. And I think that is huge. I feel good about it. Um, and yeah, being, I mean, I, I can't imagine doing any of this. In fact, I don't think I've ever run the only, the, the first marathon I ran in 2001 was the only one that I ran when I was, you know, a meat eater, I guess, but everything since then I've been a vegetarian or, or vegan. What kind of nutrition do you use? on the bike. Cause we get that question a lot or during racing and training as a vegan athlete. I'm a big picky bars person, big picky bar fan. So as far as like actual like food, food, I use picky bars. Um, Bobo's, uh, lemon bars are just delicious. Um, and, uh, and lots of goose. So I really just stick with, with, uh, and, and then Vega, I use Vega. Um, they're, uh, Vega and noon, but, um, their hydrator and, and, um, their stuff is, is great on the bike, but mainly for nutrition. Um, I just stick with, with blocks noon or excuse me, pick and picky bars. And that suits you fine. No nutrition issues. Pretty good. It does. Yeah. So far so good. That's actually a big thing. Um, when I came back around this, uh, when I started working with Hillary again in 2016, nutrition was a, I just never ate enough uh, when I was biking. And, and, and it's interesting. I, I, I mean, I have so many friends who are, you know, real deal runners and we don't eat enough and, and don't, fuel enough. And it was like revolutionary just to constantly taking calories on time and taking more. And I was like, Oh wow. So that's been a huge game changer for me. And you're talking calories just during training or in your everyday normal diet. That has been, um, mainly during training, but like what that I feel like as far as everyday life this past year, I've really gotten much better at is eating, eating more and better and, um, and having more quality calories coming in. Uh, that's something I think also I just sort of let that go and just ate when I felt good. But now it's much more, you know, no, I need to eat more. I feel like that's a common thread that we see a lot too, is for some reason, there's numerous reasons. The amount of calories you take in during training seems, seems to not be enough yet. We're pushing our bodies to stimulate, to stress the body, to stimulate fitness. So when we rest, we gain that fitness, but yet we shy away from adding calories and I'm guilty of it myself too. And I think I think it's a mindful thing mostly. And I can recall on the race just yesterday or the other or Sunday, like in the run, just wanting to get the run done and not taking in what I knew I needed. Like I could feel that overall level, like sinking down when I was able to quickly shift gears, like taking a goo, get it, grab some cola. 
um, what do you think it is? Like what, in your opinion, what do you feel is the reason we just, we're not consuming enough? We don't know that we need more or we're just not feeling it. It's, it's uncomfortable to put fuel in the body while we're training. What, what's your take? I think I, I'm tied between uncomfortable uncomfortable like if you, if you maybe you've, what you've eaten it makes you know your, your stomach you know twist and turn um gi distress is no fun i mean I've, i definitely dealt with that years ago and you know and in, in marathoning my fourth marathon had a you know pasta dinner the night before never again will i do that so learning those lessons um but i think during the race or during i know for me for sure during the race i need to look at the clock i need to look at my miles and make sure that i take them just regimented because i i, I don't think I need it sometimes. I feel like, no, I feel good. Like I don't need a goo yet, but it's like, no, 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 you do. <laughs> you just have to make sure to stay on top of that because I think, I think your mind can go someplace else, but you need to constantly connect the two with your body and be fueling, fueling, fueling. How many, are you targeting a certain amount of calories every hour? Let's talk Ironman specific, like for Wisconsin, will you be targeting a certain amount of calories per hour? I think it's around like two, 250 or 300 an hour. Yeah, I think it's like 300. And, and I, it's funny, um, Picky Bars changed their, you know, they changed their ingredients a little while ago or their recipe a little while ago. And they, their bars used to be 200. So it was really easy. It was just 200, a one Picky Bar and then a gel. But now it's like they're like 180 or 190, which is not that big of a deal. But a little, you know, a little bit of that. But basically, yeah, about 300. Yeah, that's what I, what I do. And I'm always, I've always been one to... Um really put a lot of importance on that last aid station. Like as much as I've wanted to skip it, I always stop. I'm always taking in my nutrition to the end. And like, just even this morning, I, the last 10 minutes of my run was like a tempo effort and I could hear I had water in my bladder and I was thinking, well, I'll just push it and I'll drink when I get to the car. And I'm like, no, cause it's not, it's not about these 10 minutes It's about, are you going to be hydrated after the workout, are you going to, you know, you've got the interview with Taryn today. Like, are you, are you going to be topped off? Are you going to be, so I'm always thinking about, you know, in the moment feeling, you know, feeling the moment, but not forgetting what I need to fuel my recovery. I'm always thinking about fueling the recovery. And even at those last aid stations, um, in a race, it's now you're starting to think about the body after the race. Because you want to recover. And, and I, I 100% agree with you that that's one of the biggest benefits that we've seen from eating a plant-based diet. I mean, really, a vegan diet is the recovery is unbelievable. And um, what I love about your story is that I think maybe like five or, you know, five-ish years ago and stuff, there was kind of this like, it's like, oh, if you eat a vegan diet, it's the answer to everything. You're never going to get sick. You're never going to get injured. And that's crap. That's total crap. You are going to probably get a cold at some point. You may have a sore toe. Like it's not the, uh, it's, it's the magic bullet. And then it's not the magic bullet. Like life is still life, but it is a high vibrational way to eat. It's a very anti-inflammatory way to eat. And as an athlete, I think recovery is so important because it's, we can get back out there and start training quicker. So, um, so yeah, I think about 250 to 300 calories is a really nice number to be, to be, uh, going after. And I think that some athletes might be like, Whoa, I don't take in. That's usually the feedback we get is like, Whoa, I'm not taking in that much. So when you, before this, before you became, um, more conscious about your calories, what do you think you were taking in to fuel your Ironmans? Wow. Not a lot. I don't, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think I had, cause I, I, I would eat, um, 
I would eat when I, when I felt like I needed it. Um, but certainly not maybe a couple goos during a long run, maybe some, some blocks, but during a race, I mean, I, I would eat more. Um, I think back then I ate like some cliff bars on the, on the bike and that was not good. So I think that that's, you know, you eat either too much of something and, and then when you, when you get to, you know, maybe not drinking enough and feeling that. So that's the thing too, as I learned is you have to train like you're going to race. You have to eat like you're going to race because that's, you just you do not want to jar your system and you're already dealing with a different sort of anxiety on the day. And you know, your body's already kind of going haywire. It's like the food, it should be as, you know, just leveled out as possible. And I think that's what you're saying too, about like starting your recovery or getting those aid stations near the end. That's huge. And I think that by, by consistently being at, you know, almost in triathlon training all the time, I always think about the next just, okay, I'm doing this here, but I have a run later or I have a, a swim later or tomorrow even. And always have to think about that because they're all connected. You, know, you might have, or it's like, I need to eat well now because I'm going to be sleeping later. And like, I want to make sure, you know, you feel good and hydrated for that. So I think that's, that's the key is not really, there is no true finish line with any of this. It's like, it's always just like constantly being, maintaining it, figuring stuff out and getting in a routine in a sense. What's your pre-race go-to? That's changed over the years. So for a long time, I was a big pancake eater night before, but I think I, I think I made too much. Um, so now actually I make, I, I try to go and get like the biggest yam sweet potato. There's such a controversy. I feel like if you say sweet potatoes, people are like, no, they're really yams. So anyway, large yam and then, uh, almonds, like raw almonds, salt and pepper, balsamic, olive oil, and, um, and like a little, and I usually have like a green juice that day. So I won't really have greens with dinner, but I'll have like a green juice that day earlier in the day. And, uh, and then some dark chocolate that night, um, cup of tea, yogi bedtime tea with, with the noon, um, sleepy time deal. And that's, that's pretty much it. Do you cut fiber out? Like prior to, like, you know, I know you have a green juice, which is actually mm-hmm. a super smart idea because you're getting all the benefit, but you're not getting the fiber. So do you take your fiber down like for an Ironman, let's say the Ironman's on Sunday, would you start taking fiber down like midday Friday? Probably. I try to keep it as just the same as, as like my diet the same all the time anyway, though. I try not to make too many changes. Like I would eat like that sweet potato deal before a long run or a long ride. So, um, I try to keep it all pretty consistent. Um, but but depending on where I am, if I'm traveling, like you try to get as much stuff that's normal anywhere you are, but I usually just keep it as streamlined and normal as, as possible. All right. And, uh, in wrapping this up, so you've been an athlete, lifelong athlete, marathoner, Ironman. Um, oh, actually before, before we wrap this up, you had, I, I watched a recent video of yours and you were talking about still going for your pro card. Is that still... Something on the table? You're like, God, I thought I was going to get through this interview without her saying that. Maybe it is, Jess. Maybe it is. Um, one thing I've learned recently is uh, women are pretty hardcore. And we are very strong. And we keep getting stronger. And for a long time, I really just thought, like, again, like the, 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 the title of my book, 35 by 35, I really just thought that, like, there's an end and this has to stop. Or, like okay, we'll be fast at a certain point, And then things will start to go downhill. And what I've noticed is that's not the case. Um, I've been getting stronger and stronger and stronger every year. And also what I just saw with Kat, I mean, Kat just turned 50 years old and absolutely crushed it in, um, you know, an Ultraman. 
So um, I'm actually writing a, my second book right now, and the title is uh, Finally by 40, I'm Just Getting Started. Because I think whether or not, I mean, I mean, if I get my pro card, that, I mean, that would be a miracle. I mean, that would be, I would have to get one, two, three in the amateurs. And there are some fast, fast girls out there and good for them. Um, because I, I strongly am behind the movement of getting more women to step up and take their pro card. Uh, I think that that is a great message to send to this next generation to keep triathlon vibrant, to keep women striving for something to be better at. And I know that the money is not there. Um, but I think that there, it can be, and that even still, why not try to be your best? And then when you are your best, if you're that good race against your caliber. Um, so I'm definitely not someone who just goes to races and like wins all the time. And is just sort of, you know, taking that spot. But, um, cause if I, if I was that good, I've gotten, you know, second place a few times in, in my age group. But if I did, you know, if I did get one, two, three, like I would certainly take my pro card. And even if it's, you know, I show up to a race, you know, next year and I'm minutes behind everyone in the swim and the, in the pro field, I would definitely do it because that'd be an incredible opportunity and amazing experience. Then again, if that doesn't happen because it hasn't happened in the last 11 years, I am perfectly fine with that. Um, but I do think that as things are progressing, I do think I will get stronger. And if that happens at a race this year, next year, whatever, like that'd be incredible to take that opportunity and like race a few races as a pro for a year and hopefully be like, yeah, you know, come on out ladies. Like, why not, you know, give this a whirl. And, um, so it's, it's, it's out there, but it, I am not putting the pressure on myself. Like I did in Boulder to have to do it because I think my goal really this year was to, was to get my pro car before I turned 40. And that's just, ridiculous. You know, if it, if it happens, awesome. If it happens before I turn 40, cause, uh, Wisconsin's actually a week before my birthday, but if it happens next year and never at all, that's okay. Sounds like you're starting to let go of the attachment to expectations. So as a lifelong athlete, marathoner, Ironman triathlete, possibly future pro, um, what do you have to say to those who are just starting out, you know, or maybe they're training for their first Ironman. And, you know, I remember that like, Oh my God, am I going to get to the finish? I must get to the finish. What do you, um, what wisdom do you have to share about, um, about expectations, how they serve you and how they can, can create suffering in your life? Yeah. I think the biggest, um, thing I would say is especially for these long distance events is that just keep going, keep, keep trying, keep churning away. I mean, there are, you know, these natural athletes that get out there and, and just do great their first time out. But for most of us, it takes a lot of time. I'm certainly one of those athletes who I believe that I'm, I'm, I'm naturally athletic and coordinated, but like I mentioned, I didn't really start to become a really good runner, a good marathoner until my 24th. And then I didn't get to really good times until last year in New York. Um, and that was my 52nd marathon. So I believe in consistency and just keep chipping away and keep learning. Um, we can learn every single day from every training session we do, certainly every race that we have that we compete at. Open, be open to everyone, you know, talk to people in transition, give, you know, people have questions, answer questions, just, you know, be open to the, to the environment. And it's such a, it's such a, an interesting community. I think runners and, and, and triathletes, because we're all pretty driven, you know, and, and definitely in this aspect of our life, but otherwise too, and willing to put ourselves out there and willing to, to, to hurt and to feel, you know, really feel our bodies. Um, and I think that is tremendous, especially in this world today, um, where we all need a reason to get a way to get stress out 
positively. And not many people know how to have figured that out. And I think if we're people that can figure out how to releasing our stress in a positive way, that is a huge gift. And that is something that we can help out other people to, you know, to do as well and bring them in the fold. You know, the more athletes, the more participants we have, the better, and we can cheer each other on and also outrun them. I mean, there's nothing, you know, competition is okay. There's nothing wrong with being number one. That's right. So people are digging and, and loving what your, your vibe is, is, uh, how can people follow you? Like, where's the best place to follow you? Cause I know you keep an active blog and IG station. So yeah, where can we stay tuned? Yes. So on uh, Instagram and Twitter, uh, I'm at TP Spates and then, uh, my website is TarenSpates.com. So I have a weekly blog I post every Tuesday, um, which you can go to my website and it's there every Tuesday. You can also sign up for my uh, weekly newsletter. So you get it in an email form, um, that comes out every Tuesday. And then on every Friday I shoot my, uh, Terrence triathlon time on Instagram TV. So that's also all on Instagram. Um, and, uh, you can also email me if you want to at Taryn at TarenSpates.com. We'll just get the conversation going. And when's that book coming out? Ooh, good question, BJ. Well, as you can tell, the story is evolving. So, <laughs> so that you're story, living the story I'm, right we're, now. We're living it right now. I'm, I'm constantly just, I mean, taking notes. It's funny. I have, um, I have a pretty good memory. So when I do a lot of these, I just like remember this stuff. And so I, I, it, I'm, it's, it's, it's in the works, in the works. All right. Thank you, Taryn. Thank you. Thank you.